Hello and welcome to the Nourish Practice podcast, a podcast focused on all things intuitive eating, intuitive movement and helping you heal your relationship to food while moving away from diet culture in hopefully a nice relaxed way. There'll be a mixture of solo episodes and guest interviews. Any topics you would like included just send me a DM on Instagram at Nourish Practice and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. This week we are talking all things sports nutrition and intuitive eating. Now whether you are someone who does your local park run or you are someone who wants to be a professional athlete, I think sports nutrition is really important and it is a really big area. I'm not going to lie, this took me ages to write slash record and rejig because sports nutrition is such a big topic. So if it is something that you want a bit more on for your particular sport or you want a lot more detail it may be worth reaching out asking questions booking in a one-to-one or maybe i'll do a part two who knows so this is very much an overview on sports nutrition and a little bit on weaving intuitive eating in with that now again like i said whether you do park run once a week or whether you are semi-professional you are an athlete embrace it if the information proves useful take it If it doesn't, then carry on being the athlete that you are without worrying too much. But maybe something sticks in your brain and you try it out a little bit. If you find yourself having low energy after movement or feeling like you can't push a session as hard as you want to, then it may be worth listening, taking note and reevaluating your fueling strategy. A bit of background from me to start. So I used to work as a personal trainer, sometimes still do, and studied a master's in human nutrition with a focus on sport. So I'm no expert, I don't work super actively in the field, but I have worked in the area and studied adjacent to it. Plus, there's always the old anecdotal evidence of I'm someone who practices intuitive eating and intuitive movement particularly. And I partake in a few different sports, you would say. First things first, if you're new here, hello, hi, welcome. Um, I'd recommend listening to some earlier episodes such as What is Intuitive Eating and Why Diets Don't Work. But if you just want to continue with this one, a whistle-stop tour of intuitive eating for you. So it is a framework developed by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. It focuses on tuning back in with your internal hunger and fullness cues and ultimately listening to your body when it comes to both food and movement. The principles in no particular order are reject the diet mentality, honour your hunger, make peace with food, challenge the food police, find the satisfaction factor, feel your fullness, cope with your emotions with kindness, respect your body, movement, feel the difference and finishing with gentle nutrition. Like I said, not in any particular order, that is a general one that they are laid out in and the one that I tend to follow when working through it with clients, but you can use them how you would like. I have many articles and episodes on this and I even have a handy new guide called Demystifying Intuitive Eating, which I will put in the link below and it's on my Instagram and everywhere else. So that has a little summary if you do want to check that out. So When it comes to intuitive eating, the first thing we have to do is actively reject diets and diet culture. Diets are a form of restriction, and even if maybe you're seeing something that says a diet that will fuel you best for your sport, if your aim is to lose a ridiculous amount of weight or lean up or anything like that, chances are you will end up restricting even if initially it doesn't appear so. This is where rejecting diet culture comes in, to move away from that restriction into fueling yourself adequately. The first principle of intuitive eating, namely for a reason if you follow them in that order, 
Some ways to think about it here when it comes to sports and diets. If restriction equals low energy, do you want to get halfway through a match and be winded? Or do you want to be running on fumes while your competitors are full of energy and sprinting past you? Use that competitive mindset to see how fueling yourself can benefit you and give you the edge. Think of all the mental energy you're currently spending focusing on food and dieting and your body. Imagine if that was used for your sport, for strategy and a little bit of mental release. No two athletes are the same, yet all diets are. Have a think about that. They are not finely tuned to you. And chances are, if you're searching terms like intuitive eating, having a browse, and you've discovered upon this podcast, unless a friend has recommended it to you, in which case, thank you very much to your friend, um, that means that you're searching for things that are actively anti-diet. So dieting hasn't worked for you, or you're exploring the anti-diet space. So you already know that dieting is not doing the best for you, and you're trying to find something else. Lean into that reject diet culture. Sometimes this can be easier said than done. It may be that you have to have a look at your coaching team, those around you, and see if they're deeply entrenched in diet culture. It's called a culture for a reason, and it's been around for a long, long time. So especially if you have a coach who's been in the sport for a while, it may be that they just enforce diet culture without even realising. It may be a case of setting boundaries, explaining to them why you're doing what you're doing, or even finding an alternative, different support, and a different network. That is a journey that you have to take by yourself. But realising that diets don't work for you and the reasons why are very important for you to explain it to someone else. If you're involved in a sport that is focused on aesthetics, the one that comes to mind straight away is gymnastics. It may be that you need to have another look at how you see your body, reach out for some professional support, talk to your coaches and your team and really evaluate how this makes you feel and the benefits of doing the sport and how you want to approach it. If you're involved in a weight-specific sport, such as weightlifting, boxing, some types of martial arts, where you're way to compete, it may be a case of looking at your fueling long-term, not in that short window before race where people do things like sweatsuits where they're trying to just cut a tiny bit. And even whether you belong in a different weight category. I follow a lot of Olympic lifters on Instagram and it's been really nice to see so many of them realise that restricting wasn't working for them and ultimately they needed to move up a weight category and they're now fueling better, feeling better and performing better. So it's a journey for you and you know what works best for you. It's setting boundaries and re-evaluating your reasons. Now from here I'm going to go into some nutritional information for when it comes to sports. Under the umbrella of intuitive eating we follow something called gentle nutrition. This basically means taking external nutritional information and integrating it with what you know is best for your body. So if I said you need x amount of carbohydrates but you know that amount will probably give you a stomach ache or previously when you had that you didn't perform your best you know that doesn't work for me but the advice to take in a little more carbohydrates I'll try and take in. It's taking what you know and adding it into your life and saying I know my body best you don't no matter what your background is. So there are three things that are considered sort of priorities when it comes to sports nutrition mostly. Number one fueling enough. Are you eating enough? Are you having enough to compensate for all the training that you are doing? And this varies person to person. Second thing hydration. You lose a lot of water by sweat and also you lose quite a lot of electrolytes. Are you rehydrating properly? And the last thing, recovery. Are you resting enough for your body to recover from the training sessions that you are doing? It's easy to overtrain in the name of getting better and not let your body recover, which ultimately just makes your performance worse. So starting with, how do you know you're eating enough? This is where the principle of feeling your fullness comes in. If you don't know what it feels like to be full, it may be worth taking a look at if you've been restricting for quite a long time and ignoring fullness cues. It may be that 
Throughout the next few meals, you check in at the start of the meal, the middle and at the end of how full you're feeling, noticing physical sensations in your stomach, how you're feeling in terms of cravings or wanting more food, and how it feels in your brain. Maybe you're having a bit of a headache and now it's starting to go away, you're starting to get fuller. If you know you're chronically underfueling, it may be that actually you rebound a little bit, you overeat a tiny bit, and then you go, ah, I need to cut back, and you find that middle ground. It's all about trial and error. That is sort of the theme of this podcast. It's all about you, you find what works best for you, your sport, and your body. Some useful exercises can be things such as making a huge amount of tea and sipping it slowly. As you sip it, check in, how does this feel on my body? Can I feel my stomach starting to fill up? Can I start to feel that sense of fullness? And it's not saying you should fill up with liquids. It's just starting to tune back in with those signals. As you start to tune back in, they get stronger and stronger. And slowly over meals and over days, they'll start to be a bit more present if you've ignored them previously. The main thing is tools, not rules. So I'm going to give a little more in-depth information now in terms of carbohydrates and protein. Take it in. If it works for you, if something clicks and you go, ah, I'm going to try that strategy. Great take it if it doesn't work for you leave it it is not a rule it is just a bit of information for you so first things first glucose sugar etc so i've seen many reels and things saying like oh we are all addicted to sugar we eat too much sugar but there's also a lot of very funny ones of cyclists runners etc just taking pure sugar if you've ever known someone who does endurance sports we've got sugar gels we've got sweets we've got sugar drinks i'm a big fan of harry Potter and fastics when i go running i know controversial um but that's just pure sugar and in a normal context i wouldn't say to someone oh yeah just eat loads of harry harry Potter fastics when i'm on a long run and i need that sugar kick and i need those glucose stores it makes a lot of sense nutritionally so nothing is black and white it's all those different shades oh, there's loads of different in between Sugar can come in many forms, so if you didn't know, you've got simple sugars such as glucose, fructose, lactose. So lactose is a sugar, what you find in milk. And then you've got more complex sugars, so glycogen, maltodextrin, starch and fibres. So when your body takes in the more complex, it breaks it down into the easier form. And your body quite likes glucose as the most fuel. It's what we use in our brain and in most of our body. Our muscles store glucose as glycogen, and then when we are exercising, it's broken down back into glucose, into your bloodstream, bam, you've got loads of energy. That's why sometimes people say they get muscle cramps when they're low on glucose, because their body's breaking down all those stores, and there isn't enough for the muscle. Because of this, endurance athletes are recommended to consume 90 to 120 grams of carbs an hour. Yes, that's quite a lot, um, if you work it out. Which is why you'll have things like gels that are pure sugar. Because if you were to eat that in food, you'd be eating quite a lot while running, while cycling. doesn't feel great. So that's why you have pure gels or a drink that'll get that in there quickly. Now, you've got to be careful with this. Because as soon as you take a lot of glucose in, you can get stomach aches. You can get diarrhoea. You can get vomiting. Just because it's too much on your body. And that's why you'll see a lot of gels and things will have different types of sugar. So it'll be fructose and sucrose and maltodextrin, glucose and sucrose, things like that, where it's your body's using different pathways so that it hopefully doesn't affect your gut. The best way to know what works for you? Trial and error. Practice the fuel that you'll use in a race, during a match, etc. You don't want to, before the final of a tournament, start to download the gels that you've never tried before and then you're not feeling great. You want to practice each session with it and then you go, this works for me, this is my fueling strategy. Have a play around. If you feel fatigued post-exercise, maybe try a gel or a bar halfway through, see how it feels. Try lots of different brands, they're all different formulas. And a lot of places now have a single one, so 
brands like MyProtein or that, you can get a sample bar or a sample gel. So you can try one and go, ah, I quite like it. I'm going to buy a whole pack. Equally, you can just make squash at home and that's got a little bit of sugar in it if you would like. So a note here on carb loading. So you would have heard before things like the marathon, there are pizza and pasta parties. This is all about carb loading, building up those nice stores of glycogen before you break them down the next day into glucose. Again, very much depends on you. For some people, they might eat a lot of pasta the night before, feel sluggish, feel like they can't get into their run, into their cycle, into their game. In which case, they need to cut it back and maybe separate out their fueling a little bit more. For others, they can't perform without eating a large amount the night before. You know your tolerance, have a play around with it. Again, you'll know what works for you, what doesn't work for you. So next thing on that gentle nutrition is protein. Do we really need it, especially supplemented? So protein helps repair your muscles. So we do need some in our diet and it's made of building blocks called amino acids. So often you'll see in a lot of protein supplements there'll be a list of little amino acids that it's made of. So it sends those building blocks into your body. Your body will build them into protein. Currently it's recommended about 0.75 grams per kilogram of body weight. But if you don't want to weigh yourself, just know most people naturally consume this much without having to put too much effort into it, especially if you eat meat. The idea of supplementing protein often just sells. If you're a strength or an endurance athlete, it generally raises to just over one gram all the way up to two grams, depending on what you are doing. And it's often recommended that spread out over the day. It's not one meal, it's all your protein per se. It's normally recommended 30 to 60 minutes after training, although some sources can say up to two hours. So very much again, see what works for you, see what works for your day. What is recommended is to take what's called a food first approach. So this basically means you focus on getting protein from your food. And if you can't get it for whatever reason, then you turn to supplements. But you're not going, oh, I don't eat enough protein. I'm going to have a protein shake. I'm going to have loads of powder. You're going, I don't have enough protein. Can I add in a little more chicken into my day? Can I have some Greek yogurt? Can I have more nuts as a snack? Can I have other things that will contain protein? Then you turn to supplements if you like them and if you need them. So if you think that normally 15 to 25 grams of protein post-exercise is what's recommended. Now one chicken breast, so 100 grams of chicken breast, contains 31 grams of protein. Depends obviously on each type, but roughly. So that's more than you need at the end of a workout. So you are not needing to eat loads of chicken, loads of protein shakes, loads of other things. Actually, you can eat a small amount and still get enough protein. If you eat excess, your body will store it for energy. They will not just keep building your muscles exponentially. Otherwise you could sit there eating chicken all day and your muscles will just grow, grow, grow. It's not how it works. It's stored for energy. When you need it, it'll be broken down. If not, it will just stay in those stores. It will not necessarily be building muscle in your body sort of sidestep from this. I'm going to include a little bit on collagen. I see it make the rounds every so often and then it sort of popularity goes down, builds back up, goes down, etc. So collagen is a structural protein found in tendons and ligaments. So when you supplement it, it's said to help your joints and your tendons. The amino acids, so those building blocks that synthesize collagen, can be found in meat, eggs and dairy. So you do get it naturally. But supplements just contain these in a little higher concentrations and then they resynthesize collagen in the body. Apparently vitamin C is also required, so often people will take both or supplements may contain both. Now if you take full collagen in the supplement, your body will often break it down, either remake it or use it for other things. So you can take it and some people have said, you know what, my joints feel better, and some athletes have said their recovery is better, but there is no 
general recommendation that everyone should take it currently if you are following a food first approach. Again, the choice is yours. Experiment, do I feel better, do I not? If you try it and go, you know what, I feel better, but it's costing me too much money, I'm just gonna invest in trying to eat a little more of those things that contain that, great. If you try it and go, I feel great, I'm gonna keep supplementing this, you found something that works for you and you're listening to your body, it is satisfying your need. So, next thing, we've found out if we fueled enough, now are we hydrated enough? A note on sweat and electrolytes. So, electrolytes are mainly salts, so it's normally sodium, so you've got sodium, potassium, magnesium, etc. And they are flowing through your body and they allow your muscles to work. So sodium, potassium help your muscles contract and relax, as well as other functions. That's why you sometimes get muscle cramps when you're electrolyte level is low. So when you sweat, you naturally lose electrolytes out of the body, which is why sweat tastes salty. I know a lovely image for you, sorry. Um, but that's why we need to replace them. And sometimes when we have water after exercise, it can feel like actually we're not rehydrating enough. It's not hitting that need. So you often feel a little dehydrated, even though you're drinking quite a lot of water. That's because you haven't got salt in there to help that water be reabsorbed. This is where electrolyte drinks comes in. So your probably classic one you're thinking of is Lucozade. Not sponsored, um, that's just my go-to. So Lucozade, own brand, electrolyte drinks, that sort of stuff. You can make your own if you don't want to buy a, a brand that's you consider expensive. Orange squash, a little sprinkle of salt, bam, you've got electrolytes in your drink. Thank me later. Um, <laughs> so water needs salt to be reabsorbed and often it's recommended that if you are exercising for at least an hour, you should be drinking a little bit over that hour to an hour and a half, two hour period. If it's less than an hour, normally you replenish afterwards. And if you don't like the idea of drinking salt, you can have crackers, pretzels, mixed nuts, etc. Again, things like runners, some people like to stop, have something salty, run again. And they can do that without getting stomachache, others need it in a liquid form, otherwise their stomach is not happy. Find what works for you. Main thing is don't start a workout dehydrated and make sure you are getting enough salt at the end of your workout. So maybe that post-workout meal, your protein, you have a little bit of salt or something that contains those just to help you. It doesn't need to be again supplemented. You can focus on food first if you would like to. It is a personal preference. A note here that there is something called a salty sweater. Um, I suppose you must know if you are one, if you're salt, if you're salt, if your sweat is particularly salty, it may be that you need to make more of an effort to replace those electrolytes. And now, a side note, a tangent I introduce you slash remind you of, chocolate milk. Oh. I know it sounds really weird, but um, <laughs> in the fitness space, chocolate milk has long been used to refuel post-training. Reason being, if you don't feel like taking in a large meal when you don't want to spend a lot of money on a protein shake, it has a little more sugar in it than regular milk, so it helps with that glucose. But it also has that little bit of protein of being dairy. Plus it tastes nice, chocolate, strawberry, banana, etc. There was a 2015 study, uh, Poisson et al, that said chocolate milk helped reduce soreness, muscle soreness after climbing competitions. So, compared to water. I'm not going to say one study is conclusion, but I just really like chocolate milk. I used to have it all the time after the gym, because a lot of brands um, would have like ATP own brand for like almost a litre. So you're just sipping away on it and it just helps replenish when maybe you're not feeling hungry. Sometimes after exercise, our appetite is reduced because of the stress hormones that are going through our body. So if you don't want to, you just want to sip on something, that can be a good alternative if you do like it. If that sounds horrible to you, again, leave it. Don't have to try it. And side note that if you've experienced diet culture 
and still are kind of inside it, you might be thinking this is drinking your calories. I want you to have that little thought process that what makes chocolate milk, which we might deem quote, quote, a bad or unhealthy food, we're trying to move away from labels, but if you're thinking, oh, that's a bad food, but you can buy a protein shake that is chocolate flavoured for double the price. Probably does contain a little more protein, it's got some protein powder in there. Um, for double the price, and that's absolutely fine drinking your calories in that aspect. You need to think about where this information is coming from and why one thing is allowed and one thing is not. Often we shouldn't drink our calories in the form of coffee, but a detox juice is fine. Just a thought. Ditch the diet, embrace chocolate milk. I'm going to get it on a t-shirt. So, off that tangent, <laughs> how the intuitive eating principles can apply to sports nutrition. So the first thing, and this is not a set principle in the 10, but it's sort of an overarching theme, is finding what works for you. When it comes to sports nutrition, ultimately, it's trial and error. Coaches and athletes will often try protocols for a few weeks, reflect on what's working, what isn't, and adjust. I could stand here and say you need to eat 60 grams of protein in a meal, but it's never going to happen unless you're just eating chicken and rice or something like that. You need to find what fits your life, your taste, and your performance. So it may be that you say, I feel like I need a little more carbs, a little more protein. I'm going to look up some recipes or I'm just going to go, I really like eating this meal. The protein source in this meal is chicken. So rather than having one chicken breast, I'm going to have one and a half. Or, oh, in the morning, I find I'm a little bit hungry. And what I'm actually eating isn't that high in carbohydrates. So I'm going to add a slice of toast. Or on top of my toast, I'm going to add some peanut butter. Something like that, where you're just adjusting, trying, oh, actually, this whole week, I've tried adding a slice of toast to my breakfast, so I'm consuming a little more carbs, and I've noticed that in my training sessions, I can push a little bit more. Great. You have found what works for you. A big part of intuitive eating is stepping into your confidence that you know what you are doing and what is best for you. Obviously, if you have a coach or a trainer with years of experience when it comes to training, they may know a lot, but that doesn't mean it's best for you. It's finding that balance and having that relationship with the person, you can discuss what is working, what isn't working for you. Their previous clients are not you. They are not training in the same way. They do not have the same body. You have agency over your body and your decisions. So reflect on how you currently feel. How does it make you feel? Maybe you make a note, a journal, a diary, etc. If you want to, try a week of eating and start to reflect. Oh, this day I ate less and my training session I only rated like a 5 out of 10. Actually, I went out with friends, had a lovely dinner, had a social time. And the next day, my training felt great. And I felt like I was properly fueled. Start to see patterns, start to see things that you want to change, or things that are working really well that you want to make into that habit and that routine. Find what works for you. Second intuitive eating principle is honouring your hunger, especially practical hunger. So first things first, notice, are you ignoring your hunger cues currently? Sometimes it's useful just to take stock of what we're currently doing and the approach we are currently taking. So if you notice that you never feel hungry, or actually only when you feel hungry, you dismiss it and go, oh, I'll deal with it later, I'm not hungry, I just need to drink some water. If you've got that narrative, you are not tuning in with your hunger cues and you need to change it and slowly start to notice and listen to your body. Now, when it comes to intuitive eating, there's a lot of focus on biological hunger, feeling that rumbling in the stomach, maybe you start to get a headache, and listening to that cue. So I'm hungry. I will try and eat if I can. As an athlete, you may have a lot more focus on what's called practical hunger. This basically means eating in a way that suits your lifestyle. For example, you may not be hungry, but you know that in an hour you're about to do a training session and you need to be fueled, but you also need enough time to digest. And by the time you're hungry in 45 minutes, you just won't have that window of space. So you're going to eat now, even though you're not hungry. That is fine. That is called practical hunger.
As you're tuning in with Practical Hunger, resources such as food and hunger journals will allow you to see timings of when you feel fueled or when you maybe crash or feel low energy because you are under fueling. So you might notice that you're not hungry after training, but when you only snack, you end up getting a headache later in the day and you struggle to sleep. So maybe you need to be a bit more practical, fuel a little bit better and actually notice if those things help. Seeing this pattern allows you to try and see what works best for you and most importantly for your life so that it's not taking up mental stress and mental space. It is just, here's what works for me, here's my patterns, here's what I'm going to try out. Have a play around with it, don't take it too seriously. Again, so you can take away that mental aspect and the stress. Start to notice how hungry you are around training, what makes you feel most fueled, and what makes you perform at your best. Which leads us into the next principle, find your satisfaction. Satisfaction is at the core of most of what in, of intuitive eating is about. It is finding food that makes you feel good, fuels you the best, satisfies cravings, and all your senses, taste, touch, texture, smell, etc. Sometimes when it comes to athletes, we try and get in the mindset that food is purely for fuel. So we take away that enjoyment factor and we just, we make it completely neutral. And this may take away some of the enjoyment of eating, it means sometimes you have to force yourself to eat and it can take up a bit more mental energy than it needs to. So let's focus on enjoying eating. It can fuel you, fuel you, but it can still be enjoyable. We can have the best of both. So list the foods that satisfy you. And what I would recommend is split it into things like, here's a column that satisfies my taste, my cravings, my favourite foods. The next one is those that satisfy your nutritional needs. I know I need to eat foods that are high in protein, high in carb in order to fuel my training sessions this week. Boom. And then last one, practical hunger, things that fit your life. Recipes that maybe only take half an hour, quick snacks, breakfasts that are really easy to prepare, things that can be meal prepped, can be put in Tupperware, can be kept at a training facility, etc. Start to notice things that cross over more than one column and start to make a plan that works for you. So maybe you say, oh, you know what, I really often crave this type of food, but it takes longer to make. Okay, practical hunger dictates that I'm going to make that meal and have that as an option on days when I don't have a training session and I'm recovering. However, this food I always crave is really quick to make and actually is quite high protein. I'm going to try and have that before training sessions or after training sessions because I know it'll not only make me feel satisfied, but I'm giving my body the nutrients that it needs. It's finding what works for you and again for your life. And I note here that although I'm anti-diet, you'll often find me making high-protein baked goods. I really enjoy this. Um, and I can Google high-protein muffins, high-protein brownies. I just don't take in any demonising of other foods or any fear of foods. I mean, I don't think any of us read the paragraphs before recipes anyway, I'm going to say. Um, but if it is something that demonises other foods, I'll just skip it and get to the recipe. Those baked goods have a place. By having a high protein muffin, I'm not saying that a normal chocolate muffin is bad in any way. It is saying I have a training session or I have had a training session and actually I need to up my protein a little bit and I fancy something of that taste. I'm not putting one above the other. They're both equal in my mind. Sometimes I fancy something that's high protein, sometimes I don't. And sometimes my high protein recipes taste nicer. Very strange. It is just a personal preference. So don't feel bad if you're Googling high protein versions of stuff or that you're still in diet culture. If your reason for doing so is a taste and a satisfaction, not a fear or punishment. And then last thing, movement, feel the difference. Now, a caveat here that I don't know you, I don't know your sport, I don't know what your ambitions are. But if you are constantly having to drag yourself to sessions, you're not enjoying it anymore, you're doing it for other people, and you're just really not enjoying the movement, it may be a time to take a step back 
and reassess. All of us have had a Monday where it's raining and you don't want to go for a run, or a day when you just can't be bothered and want to stay in bed. That's very different from continually pushing yourself and affecting your mental health negatively, your physical health negatively, etc. Maybe find something else that's adjacent, take a little sidestep and come back to it another time. Unless you're an Olympian, in which case, how did you find my little podcast? Let me know. It'll always be there waiting for you. Unless you want to be super professional, often if it's just a hobby, you can always do something else. If it's a social thing, maybe ask friends if you can try something else and then come back to it. So a note on recovery here. If you're feeling really run down, just know having a day off is a completely valid choice even if it's just because you want one. Now, depending on your sport, this can be a day-by-day choice. And this is where flexibility comes in and having a good support network. So if you know to hit your goal, you need to do a session, then maybe it's figuring out, okay, the minimum I can do today is this, and I'm not going to put in all my energy. It's the minimum work requirement. Maybe it's saying, oh, I can do it tomorrow because I'm meant to have a day off tomorrow. I'll just rejig my week. Absolutely fine. As you start to tune into your body's internal signals, you can start to trust the voice that says, today, I really need a rest. Or actually, I'm okay to do the minimum amount, and we'll figure it out as we go. And you should eat normally on rest days. Movement does not equal more food in the same way that a lack of movement does not equal punishment and less food. Often our recovery days are when our body replenishes all those stores that we need to train. So make sure you're eating enough on rest days just as much as you are on active days. And make sure you take the rest days. So how do you balance sports nutrition needs and your intuition? Again, it really depends on your sport, but you want to think of it as the opposite end of the scale to restriction. You are eating more, you are eating enough. Often, a lot of athletes are underfueling, and that's why they're feeling a bit worn out. And whether that's from a place of body image, of diet culture, it is dependent on the person. But we know that with a lot of female athletes, they experience red S, which is basically the loss of your periods because you're just not eating enough for your body to sustain them. And there is, especially, again, Unfortunately, with women, an increase in the amount of people that have eating disorders or disordered eating when they're involved in sports, especially aesthetic sports. So you need to find a balance of what works for you and know that you have enough of a support network to lean on them as you need to. It's knowing that you know what is best for your body and you're in control, but you're not trying to control your body and control what you eat. Again, have the flexibility, have the time and the grace to try things, change it, move it around. See what works best for you, not from external pressures. You will get it wrong, but over time you'll start to find this works for me, this feels me best, and actually I'm performing at my best. Often people find that when they refuel, add in more, they're actually performing better. They've just got to get over their initial fear that this will change their body or this will be a detriment to them. Maybe it's in the off season or a time when you're not competing, then have a bit more of a play around. And if you're thinking why, should I approach sports nutrition intuitively? It has been shown to improve mental well-being. You're focusing less on food. There's a lot more mental energy. It's improved recovery. And also, it allows you to feel in control of your body. So it's stepping back into that power. Rather than focusing on everyone else's opinions or the diets you see online, you are knowing that that is what works best for you. And I think that really confidence can take you into a lot of your sports. A lot of sports are a mental game and a confidence game. I hope this has been useful. Any questions you have, do let me know. Again, maybe I'll do a part two or on a specific sport. Uh, send me a message on Instagram at Nourish Practice. We have lots of guest episodes coming up, so do subscribe whatever app you're on and do check out the guide in the link below. Have a nice day.